the answer to state capture lies not just in pleas for morality and goodness. It, it depends upon having institutions that investigate these matters, that have power and significance, that have the backing of our constitution, and that get support from the general population. And the main theme of my presentation to delegates from all over Africa was when we created our constitution in the 1990s, we didn't imagine that everybody in government would be beautiful like Mandela. Uh, we built it on the principle of the tension between perfectibility and corruptibility. And this was based on experience we'd had living all over the African continent in the struggle days. And we'd seen heroic freedom fighters get into office and often becoming very authoritarian, sometimes accumulating huge amounts of land for themselves, their family. And we'd seen it inside our own organization, the ANC, that people abused their positions in, in different ways. So we knew we had to guard not only against return of the old regime, the oppressors coming back, we had to guard against ourselves yeah. and what can happen to our own people. And one result was we built into the Constitution special mechanisms to protect constitutionalism, basic rights of everybody, Chapter 9 institutions. I think it's the only Constitution in the world that has that special section, not just the vote for everybody, not just fundamental rights for everybody in the Bill of Rights, not just accountability, but mechanisms. So it will be the Judicial Service Commission to make sure our judges are chosen freely and properly according to proper criteria and that they are independent when they function. Mm. We have an independent electoral commission to make sure that elections are meaningful and fair and have integrity. Uh, we have the constitutional court of course that's there to make sure that even those bodies function correctly. And, and so in that way we are able to fight back against the uh, rot of corruption, of abuse of power, of pointing your pals and people who are going to give you kickbacks and so on into positions of authority, of money laundering, all those things that subvert our democracy very, very seriously, not just by going into the streets, although I'm not saying people shouldn't do that, and, and not just through lamentations, but by invoking bodies like that. The public protector is a special body of that kind, and we all know uh, how much was done uh, by the uh, last public protector to, to use the not only the powers but the functions given to her by, by the Constitution to investigate allegations about state capture in particular, putting the issue of state capture centrally before Parliament, before the Presidency, before the nation, so that nobody can say that this is an issue that doesn't have to be dealt with in a very meaningful way. Just with regards to um, state capture itself, I mean, uh, you, you spoke about how Parliament itself seemed to be very invigorated following uh, the Concord's ruling, especially on uh, the public protector and her powers and how binding they are. But are we failing to come to some sort of conclusion, give South Africans a sense of whether or not there is a case to be made that state capture does exist in South Africa because it seems the narrative differs according to who supports uh, which party or which personality. I think it's not who supports which party. The debate is strongest within a particular party that happens to have the initials A and C. Uh, and that's been down to the branch level. Every single branch is discussing that issue and let's see how 
the results turn out in terms of do the branches believe that there is state capture, that it needs to be dealt with, we need a new kind of a leadership, or do the branches believe that there's another narrative that's more significant, more important? Uh, I don't think anybody can say that it's not a real issue. Some people I see are saying that it's not the state that's captured, it might be some individuals that have been captured, not, not the state as such, uh, but there's no denial that there has been state capture. On the issue of constitutionalism, is it fast deteriorating to a point where we could actually find ourselves in the kind of political systems that you described? You spoke about countries such as Taiwan, Rwanda, uh, China. What I find interesting was you were saying that we need to juxtapose what they're doing for their people, which is creating some sort of human social and economic development for them. But if you look at their political systems, they're very wanting. Well, in the case of Taiwan, it moved from being an authoritarian capitalist development state into a very open democracy. It's very lively there. It's very spirited. Elections are meaningful. People debate every issue, including capital punishments being on the agenda, same-sex marriages on the agenda. Uh, so it's an example of a country that moved from being authoritarian, that did advance the economy very dramatically, into a democracy that's promising a good life for the people. I don't wish to specifically comment on China, but I did mention that human rights includes the right to health, the right to education. They're doing fantastic work in, in, in respect to that. In that sense, improving the opportunities, the lives of the people. But many people feel the political system is not open enough. The other aspect of human rights relating to freedom of speech, of organization, of choosing your government, that, that's very, very lacking. And that's something that in the end, the Chinese people will determine how much pressure to put in relation to one area or another. It's interesting that in the least recent conference, one element that was lacking before in their debate is now central, that's the rule of law. Uh, and that's partly an anti-corruption measure, rule of law, because so many of their state officials and party officials were manifestly corrupt. Their children were growing up as totally spoiled people living in the lap of luxury with no sense of being Chinese, belonging to the nation <coughs> at all. So we see the rule of law that was never mentioned in China before. It was disregarded as a kind of bourgeois capitalist concept now becoming central. But still, the, it isn't a multi-party state. There aren't uh, open elections. Uh, there's no contestation in that sense uh, for, for governmental power. Just a final question. Um, you also spoke about the relationship of Parliament and the courts, uh, that to prevent the courts overreaching, Parliament has to ensure that it holds people, not only the executive, but institutions to account. Do you think that at this stage in our democracy that the courts are in danger of overreaching? I think the impact of the courts has been exactly the opposite, not to stifle democracy, but to enable democracy to be enlivened, to be more vital. You know, who used to look at parliamentary debates? You're flicking through your channel, oh, parliament, move on. Now everybody watches parliament because there's real contestation. It's not just because there's argy-bargy, which is often very unpleasant physical violence, but the real debates, the portfolio committees, the questioning of ministers, 
a vote of confidence with, with the secret ballot. Parliament's become a source of, of intense contestation. It's fulfilling the role given to it by the Constitution, and it's been rebuked by the Constitutional Court for not being lively and spirited enough, for not doing its duty. So far from being overreaching, it's encouraging the other institutions of government to be more spirited, to be more lively, to be more open.